Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our series on forgiveness. And we're going to rock and roll this morning. We've got a lot to cover. And so uh, this is week three. If you missed last week, it's online. You can go back and catch up on it. We learned and talked about the foundation of forgiveness. And here's what we learned. We learned that we forgive because we've been forgiven. That is the foundation of forgiveness. We looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant who didn't extend mercy and grace like the king did for him. He was pardoned from all his debt, but when it came to him and dealing with others, he didn't forgive. He didn't show mercy, and we saw that Jesus takes forgiving others very serious. I mean, very serious, our need to forgive other people. The foundational verse for our entire series is found in Matthew 6. It says, this is Jesus talking. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And so the basis of our forgiveness is what Jesus has done for us. If he has forgiven us from our sins, if he's forgiven our debt, the things that we owe him, then we must also forgive others. And refusing to do so has eternal consequences. And I know forgiving isn't easy, but the truth is, and you already know this, nothing of great significance ever is actually easy. And I'm grateful to hear that this week and last week, I've had so many conversations, so many follow-up conversations about how God is using this to kind of work in your life. And many of you are thinking through how this applies to you. And, And I'm just so thankful that God's using the sermon series in this way for you. He's doing it to me as well. Just throwing that out there. But as a reminder, here's what we went over last week, and this is kind of the process I use. Maybe you have something better. That's great. But this is how I start forgiving, start working through it. Number one, I put words to my feelings, and you should put words to your feelings. Like I cannot overemphasize how important this is because anger, bitterness, frustrations, all of those are these feelings that can be overwhelming and can get us very focused, laser focused on sometimes the wrong things. But putting words to our feelings, like this is what I feel I'm owed, right? Rather than just being angry, if forgiving is canceling a debt and saying, hey, I'm going to deal with that. This is what the person owes me. I need to put words to the feelings. I need to understand what I believe they owe me, what, how they have wronged me. So you have to identify your loss or the cost or whatever you think is owed to you that they've done. Number two, you believe the gospel. And this is, we believe that Jesus died for us. We believe that we have the power to forgive. We understand that God's great love displayed on the cross, that that he was willing to suffer and forgive and die for us. Then we need to move forward in forgiving other people, knowing it's going to be costly, knowing it's not going to be easy. But we believe the gospel to include believing that we can actually forgive. 
right? Believing that forgiveness is even possible because sometimes it can feel as if it's not possible. But if we believe the gospel, then we know forgiveness is possible. Number three, we choose to suffer. And how many of us like doing that? None of us, right? None of us like to suffer, but we choose to suffer. We choose to pay for what the other person's done. We acknowledge that this is the debt they owe us. We believe in the gospel, but we choose to to take on that debt. We choose to suffer that loss just as Christ chose to suffer for us. We choose to live with the consequences of another person's actions and say, hey, we'll, we'll own it. Number four, We let go and let God. And this whole sermon is about number four, carrying this idea out a bit further. But we choose to let go of resentment, anger, bitterness. We let go of it because we've chosen to forgive. When the debt's been paid, it's no longer owed. So how we feel because of what we're owed can start dissipating. It can go away. And remember, when we forgive, it's not saying, hey, it wasn't a big deal. It's not pretending like it didn't happen and not even saying that we can forget what happened, but we choose to let it go. And in order to truly do this, you and me, we have to have a very important perspective because did you know perspective changes everything? This week I was reminded on that and I've been talking to the Lord. I'd really ha- I'd rather have a better way to come up with sermon illustrations than tell you what happened to me this week. But here we go again, okay? So this week uh, or a couple weeks ago Jessica went to the doctor. She was having uh, her back checked out. It was bothering her a little bit and so they got an x-ray done on it. Didn't see anything. So she went ahead and had an MRI. And so she had the MRI and the particular doctor she was seeing said, "Listen, What's going on with you isn't my lane. You need to go ahead and see a neurosurgeon because that's up his lane. But before you go to the neurosurgeon, you need to have another MRI, one done with contrast. Some of you know what all this was. I didn't until like two weeks ago. Just throwing that out there, okay? And so, of course, when they say, hey, you got to go to a neurosurgeon and, hey, you need a follow-up MRI, MRI, that can cause you to be like, hey, I wonder what's going on. Like, this is kind of, you know, concerning. But luckily, we know somebody. We talked to them, put us at ease, and we said, okay, maybe it's not so big of a deal. Let's go ahead and just get this done. So she went to get her second MRI, and then all of a sudden, she went from being kind of concerned to overly concerned, like super worried, super thinking about it, like kind of dominated a lot of conversations. And come to find out, the great MRI tech decided to strike up a conversation by saying, oh, well, it could be lymphoma. So cancer, which is what lymphoma is, was never on our radar. Never thought about it. Didn't consider it. Wasn't anywhere about anything that we, like, it was out of nowhere. So all of a sudden, something that wasn't on our radar, guess what changed? Yeah, that perspective, it could be cancer, became the only perspective. It changes like that. Now, of course, did I try to change my wife's perspective? Of course I did. I said, babe. That MRI tech doesn't know what they're talking about. Do you think that was helpful? Nope, because I don't know what I'm talking about either. Like it was two people, I had no idea what was going on, trying to speak into this situation. And secretly, don't tell her this, she's in the room, so she's going to find out. Secretly, I'm walking out of the room Googling things now, 
right? I'm like, James, not a big deal, but I'm Googling everything, trying to figure out what's going on, worried and concerned. Now that's everything that's dominating our mind. And to make things even better, they say yes, and you can see the specialist in a month. That was my week, by the way. This is what we dealt with all week. This is, this is what we had going on, all because our perspective changed. But thankfully and luckily, I know a guy, just one, and I asked for help, which is super hard to do when you're in that moment, and thankfully, he knows how to read radiologist reports because I do not. So he gave me direction. He said, listen, he said, go get the report, send it over to me, I'll read it, then we'll talk about what we need to do next. And thankfully, he gave us a quite different perspective. And it turns out all signs point having nothing to do with anything like that, and it's probably something minor. Talk about relief, right? Because of perspective. The crazy thing about the entire situation is absolutely nothing changed but our perspective. Perspective can change everything. How you are viewing what's happening, what may happen, all of that is your perspective. And when it comes to forgiveness, perspective can change everything. Your ability to forgive, your ability to want to forgive can all come from this perspective shift. And we see this very clearly in the life and the story of a man named Joseph. You see, the story of Joseph is one of the most amazing stories in all of the Bible. While you may have had bad things happen to you, and I agree, you probably did, not many of you have had as many bad things happen to you as my main, main, my main, my main man, Joseph. What he went through was terrible. Joseph is the, excuse me, Joseph is the son of Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. Joseph has how many brothers? 11, right? He's almost the youngest, second to youngest. And when we jump into the story, he is 17 years old. How many of you can wish you could go back to being 17? Yeah, I do, and I knew exactly what I know now at 17. Boy, I would change the world. I'd still get in a ton of trouble, let's be honest. Okay, we know me. All right, Genesis 37, here's where we're jumping in. It says, Jacob, which is Joseph's dad, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe or a coat of many colors you learned in Sunday school. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So here's what's going on in Joseph's life. At 17 years old, his brothers hate him. The father has created massive tension in this family by favoring one son over the rest. He invested, parents, maybe you're doing this, he invested more time and more money and more interest in one son over the other. And the rest of them knew it. And they didn't like him because of it. And to make matters even worse, Joseph started having these dreams that made it seem like he at least thought of in his dreams that he was one day going to be over top of all his family. He was going to be in charge of his brothers and his parents. And Joseph, being the younger brother, having those dreams, he did what any younger brother would do. He went and told his brothers, hey, I'm having these dreams. You're bound to me. I don't know. I'm just telling you. It's, it's a dream thing. I don't know what to do. And so, of course, they hate him, like hate him. 
And so one day they're out in the field and Joseph's dad, Jacob, tells him to go check on his brothers. His brothers are watching over the, the flocks, their shepherds, and they see Joseph coming from a distance in a sparkly coat, the shiny robe that he had that they didn't have. And they just came up with this amazing idea. They said, here comes our brother. Let's kill him. Some of you thought about that with your siblings, but these guys move forward with it. So they decide they're going to kill him and just tell the father that he was eaten by wild animals. And, and Reuben decided it was too far. He's like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we should just throw him in this empty well and leave him, let him starve to death. At least we didn't do it then, right? We can have plausible deniability and be like, we're not exactly sure what happened. We threw him down there. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he's not. We're not too sure. The brother's like, hey, that's a great idea. But Reuben secretly wanted to go release him at night, so the story tells us. So Reuben's trying to distract him. So they captured Joseph, ripped off his coat, threw him in this abandoned well. They did all of that and then said, you know what? We're hungry now. Let's go get some lunch. So their brother's in an abandoned well. They're eating lunch. And then some of them see this, these slave traders going by. They say, you know what? Why kill them? We could sell them into slavery. At least lunch would be paid for then. And so they do. They sell their brother into slavery. Now listen, I'm not too sure what your brother or sister did to you. But this ranks up pretty high on the things of bad things to do to your brothers or sisters. So they did. They threw him into slavery. A terrible thing to do. Because here was Joseph's crime. He was a little bratty and a little braggy. Like that's it. He was a bratty, braggy little brother. The father's the one who created this, this, this culture of favoritism, not Joseph. But he's paying for the situation that the father created. And so Joseph was sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. So now Joseph is in Egypt as a slave. And here's what we're told, Genesis 39. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. It says, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. God was with Joseph in the midst of all of this. And perhaps for you, because I know definitely for me, if I'm thinking God is with me, that means these bad things aren't happening. If God is with me, that means it's supposed to be easy. If God's with me, I'm supposed to get the job. If God's with me, I'm supposed to have that positive test result. If God's with me, the bad things aren't happening. But that's not what we see. We see God with him in the midst of his brother selling him into slavery. We say, well, why? We're not told why bad things happen. But we are told that in the midst of that, God is right there. But not only was God with him, it says he helped him succeed. Joseph succeeded at being a slave. And I highly doubt that in Joseph's five-year plan, he wanted to be a great slave. Like that was part of his goals. But yet he does. He serves as a slave, rises up to the highest position that you can as a slave. He took the role of the administrator, the head slave, managing all of Potiphar's Affairs. He had all administrative responsibilities in that situation. And sometimes in the midst of a difficult life, in the midst of a hard situation, the only thing you can possibly do is just do your best, even in the midst of it. He's a slave now, so he decides to be the best slave possible. 
He continued to glorify God in the hardships. But with greater responsibility, and you know, comes greater temptations. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Isn't that a detail you hope someone says about your life one day? Just me? Moving on. Okay. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. Yet he has held back nothing for me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. This is very important because you know the, the draw when you have a bad situation, when hard things are happening, when life gets difficult, it's easy to just do whatever you want. Well, God's not with me. Might as well do what I want then. He doesn't seem to care. Look where I'm at. So I might as well just do whatever I want to do. But Joseph's integrity was intact. God hadn't abandoned him and he didn't abandon God, even in the hardship. He knew that what was being proposed didn't make all the wrong that he'd been through all of a sudden make it right. So God was still his north star in the midst of all this adversity. But she kept pressuring him. She ended up grabbing him one day and demanded that he, slept with her, that, she, that he sleep with her. So Joseph ran. You remember the story? Joseph ran out of the house and left his coat, left his cloak behind. He ran. She's embarrassed and mad. He said no to her, so she screams and yells. And when everybody comes in to see what happened, she says, Joseph tried to rape me. Here's his jacket to prove it. She told that same story to her husband when he got home, and of course, he was furious. So he did what probably any husband would do. He had him thrown into prison. No trial, no witnesses, no day in court. Just simply thrown into prison. That's the kind of power he had. So now here's Joseph, a man who's been utterly betrayed by his family, has been falsely accused of rape. Now he's in prison. And we can all agree that this kind of thing isn't something you want on your record. It doesn't go away. That follows you around. Joseph will never pass a background check ever again. Like it's done. How many of you in this moment would think your life is utterly ruined? Because far less has happened to you and you've assumed that your life was utterly ruined, that it's over. But Joseph kept going. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Again, God was right there with him. And I would assume, and you would assume, that if God was with us, we wouldn't have been falsely accused. We wouldn't be in prison. Your day of justice would come. She would admit that she was wrong, and you'd be restored. You'd get to go home. You'd think all this wonderful stuff would happen. But God was right there with him in prison during all of this stuff. And in verse 22, it says, Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that had happened in prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything and the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Once again, in the midst of that adversity, once again, in the midst of a dark, trying, horrible, hateful time, 
In the most difficult circumstances, Joseph stayed faithful and God used him and blessed him. Evidently, Joseph isn't allowing the injustice that's going all around him to ruin his future. He's moving forward. He's staying faithful. He's bringing glory to God even in the most difficult situations. While in prison, he met two, two, two of the king's officials who had also been thrown into prison. They looked worried, and Joseph asked why. They both said they had these interesting dreams at night. And remember, from the beginning, Joseph also had some interesting dreams. So they told Joseph the dreams, and he told them what they meant. It was really good news for the cupbearer. He was going to get released in a couple of days. Not so good news for the baker. He was going to be impaled in a couple of days. Sometimes you don't want to know your future, right? Just kind of leave it alone. Don't let me know. I'm good. Here's what Joseph told the cupbearer after he informed him what was going to happen. Verse 14, he says, And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. What I find so fascinating is his situation is not lost on him. He didn't pretend that he should be there. He didn't act like nothing happened. He's simply doing a good job knowing that this other stuff happened. But he didn't let this stuff that happened affect how he lived his everyday life. And that is difficult, isn't it? Living with all that injustice, all that unfairness, but still doing a good job while this weighs heavy on you. And so he's saying, look, help me get out of this situation. Verse 23. The Pharaoh's cheap cuffbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph and never giving him another thought. So you'd figure the guy you helped out would want to help you out, and you'd figure if you knew somebody who could interpret dreams and they come true, you'd probably want them to be one of your friends. But the cupbearer didn't. Just forgot about him, got out, got happy, and just moved on with his life. 41 verse 1 says, And two full years later... Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River, and it continues telling us his dream. But two years later, so Joseph sat there for another two years, the cupbearer never coming in, but then God does something. Pharaoh had this dreamed, and he was greatly troubled by it. Nobody could figure out what it meant. But the cheap, the cupbearer said, oh yeah, that's right. I remember a guy. He knew a guy too. Verse 14 so Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once because the cupbearer said, hey, I know this guy. When I was in prison, let me tell you the situation. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from prison. After he had shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about dreams, you can interpret it. And now here's Joseph's chance to brag on himself and talk about how awesome he is. Verse 16, it's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God. His faith remains. He knows who's in charge. He, know who, he knows who does the good work, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So in the midst, I want you to see this because in the midst of the unjust, in the midst of the unfairness, you can keep your faith. You can retain a strong faith. It is possible just like Joseph did because it is your faith in the midst of those trying and difficult times, those unjust things. 
that happen, it can cause you to have this thing called hope. That it will be different. That God is doing something. And so Joseph explained the dream to Pharaoh. Pharaoh told him his dream. Joseph, yeah, here's what's going on. He said there's going to be seven years of abundance, great years ahead of Egypt. It's going to be amazing. And then there's going to be seven terrible years after that. He said, so if I were you, Pharaoh, I'd put someone in charge to kind of manage this situation. Because, you, you know, you got seven good years. Put some away. Put some, you know, behind. Store some stuff up. So in the seven bad years, you got things to live on. Here's Pharaoh's thoughts. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. So Joseph kept his faith during all of that, and God continued to do his work. He continued to work on Joseph. He continued to work through Joseph. And perhaps when everybody else would have thought that God had abandoned him, God had left him, God was doing a good work. And this wasn't the case at all. These unfair things happened, but God was still there. In fact, it seems as if all this stuff happening around him was God doing something, preparing him for something better, something he could only dream of and did dream of. He went from rags to riches, the most second most powerful person in his entire world. And check this out. This is important. Verse 46, and he was 30 years old when he began to serve the court of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. So if my math's correct, I think I can do this math. For 13 years of his life, he was a slave and in prison. 13 years had been taken from him. 13 years of his life wasted. I mean, imagine what Joseph could have did with those 13 years. And that, of course, is one way we can look at it, isn't it? What a waste. Or was this 13 years of his life that God was preparing for him for greatness? You see, they both can't be true. God can't be preparing you and it be wasteful. Do we really think Joseph could have did something bigger with those 13 years? No matter how hard, no matter what schools he went to, do you think he could become the second most powerful person in Egypt? But he did. God was up to something. God was at work. And God is at work in your life too. Even when the situations aren't going well, even when it looks like all the odds are against you, God is working. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. How many of you found that to be true? I would have never imagined this is what I would do for a living. No word of my parents or any other teacher that you'd ever talk to that had me as a student. God's ways are different than our ways. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And this is why prayer is important. This is why reading God's word is important because your wisdom is not smart enough to discern what God's doing. You can't just figure that out because you're intelligent and went to college. 
This is why prayer, this is why reading his word and understanding, he operates very differently than us. And our plans are not greater than his plans. And for parents, if you're a parent or you know a parent, this is so important. Because if God can do this with Joseph, if God can take David from being a shepherd in the middle of nowhere to the greatest king Israel ever had outside of Jesus, then the most important thing you can do with your kids is to teach them and help them develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those other opportunities will come and go, but God will get them to where he wants them. He can do far more with your kids than you can imagine. Sometimes you got to say no to things. Sometimes you got to say not yet to things. But thinking your kid's going to miss out to ensure they have a relationship with Jesus, I promise you they're not going to miss out on anything other than perhaps sin. That relationship with Jesus is most important. He will get them where he wants them to be because God has dreams for your children. Teach them to trust in him. Teach them to count on him. Don't be short-sighted and think you have all the answers because you don't. Trust in God. So it turns out, Joseph was right about his dreams. God did what he said. They had seven good years and then uh, seven terrible years. But Joseph made sure and administered that Egypt had everything they needed, and he saved for this future. The brothers ended up coming to Egypt. Remember the ones who sold him into slavery? Joseph found out about him, played quite a few tricks on him. I don't blame him. I would have too. So would you have. Come on. Let's not be too high and mighty. Played some tricks on them, but eventually revealed who he was to them. You can read the story for yourself. It's a great one found in Genesis, of course. Joseph ends up calling the entire family to come live under his protection in Egypt and start over. All 66 relatives come into Egypt. They have new land. They live a prosperous life because of Joseph. And God's dreams did come true for the life of Joseph. After their dad died, because that's of course what happens in life, the brothers were fearful, knowing and thinking that Joseph now had the power and he could now enact revenge because they are living under his authority. He is in charge. Their dad's dead to stop it, and they are scared to death. 50 verse 16. It says, So they sent a message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. So check this out. They're like, look, Joseph, dad died, but he gave us a secret message. He didn't tell you. This is what he told us to tell you. Like dad said, like, I mean, come on. Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin is treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of our God and your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. Here's that forgiveness. And he started crying. Second most powerful man in his world started crying. Why did he weep? Was it because the memories were painful? Was it the hurt revisited? Was it because he was so angry? No, I think it's because he already forgave, and they didn't see it. He had already dealt with it. 
And I think it broke his heart because he's been so generous. And his brothers are allowing that forgiveness or unforgiveness of what they did to cast shadows on the relationship. And he's moved on. Because here's what he's able to say to them. And this is hard, but this is what he's able to say. Blank response. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for, say it with me. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Does Joseph say, y'all don't deserve punishment? He sure doesn't say that. He said, God's going to deal with that. Could Joseph throw him in prison? Absolutely could. He's powerful enough to do it. But he left it to God. He let him off his hook and put him on God's hook to deal with. And from Joseph's perspective, and this is the perspective shift. From Joseph's perspective, no matter how much evil they tried to do to him, and that evil they did was to him, God used it for good. No matter what somebody does to you, no matter how somebody hurts you, it's going to be painful, it's going to feel terrible, it's not going to be easy to get through, but God, and this is the important part, God can use it for good. I don't believe that God causes bad things to happen as far as sin goes, but I do believe, like we see in the life of Joseph, when terrible things happen, it doesn't stop God. It can't stop him. God is still at work and is still continuing to work and will use your pain and your suffering and all of those things for the good. And that is perspective. No matter what you are dealing with and no matter what has been done to you, God isn't done he can redeem any situation you've been through, any situation that's happened to you. No matter what you find yourself in, God can use it for good. Paul says it this way. He promises, and we know that in God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. So one of the reasons we can forgive is because we know that at the end, no matter what's happened, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how painful it may be, we know that God can still use it for, say it with me, good. You see, there's no way he could use what happened to me for good. Yes, he can. He absolutely can. He isn't done. Nothing can thwart. Nothing can stop his plans. And so we can look back and we can look and see how God used that situation, although it was terrible in the moment, although it's hard to deal with in that pain and that suffering. It wasn't easy. It wasn't fair. God can turn that situation around for good. Perhaps not the way you wanted, but my plans aren't your plans. My ways aren't your ways, says the Lord. So for instance, when I think about my father not being around and I want to mope around in my unfairness and all my issues I have going on, I realize it takes a minute, but I realize that because my father wasn't around, I strive to be a good father. My brokenness created an opportunity for goodness and so can yours. Now, does that mean because I believe that God stopped my father from being around so I would care about being a father? No, not at all. I do not believe that God wants fathers abandoning their children. I absolutely do not believe that. I could have easily learned how to be a great father from a great father. I would have chosen that if I could. 
Some of you experienced that. You know how to be a great father because you had a great father. However, for me, it is out of that situation of the brokenness of not having a dad that I care about being a good father to my children. It is on my radar. I think about it. I think about it all the time. It creates an urgency in my life for the importance of fathers and the roles they play in their marriage and the roles they play in parenting. And it not only reflects in my personal life, but in my ministry. And I hope and pray that I can help other men learn the importance of what it is to be a man called by God into marriage and be called by God into parenting. It is a big deal. So would I change anything? No. I love how it's turned out. God's used it for good. But does that change the pain? No, it sure doesn't. But I can forgive knowing that God used it and is using it for his good. And whatever happened to you, God can use it for good. Because Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And that is not easy in the moment to think about. It's not easy in the moment to always believe that. But I promise you, this is God we're talking about. There is story after story after story of God coming through, and he will come through. Just remain faithful. God can use whatever you've been through. Nothing will be wasted when it comes to his glorious plans. And so what we do is we let go when we're starting to forgive. We let go and let God use it for good. So we let God do his thing, and we know that God's going to use it for his good, and we have to believe that. So we're allowing to change. Um, We are allowing what happened to change our lives because it's going to change our lives, but it could have been the plan that God had from the beginning, so we just move forward. And my point is simply this. Nothing you've been through will be wasted when it comes to God. He will use all of it for his good. So Joseph was able to see God at work even in the difficult times. I'm sure looking back is when he saw it. And God is working in your life through this difficult time. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And he will use it for the good. And so to add on to what we learned last week is we forgive because we've been forgiven. And we know that we haven't been forgotten. Sometimes you just have to, you haven't been forgotten. He loves you. He's with you in the midst of it all. It may not feel like it, but God is right there with you. And the most important part is Joseph didn't let an unforgiving heart stop God from working. He continued to bring glory to God in all that he did. Folks, how many times has bad things happened to people so they run from God, they abandon God, they do things their own way just to create an even bigger mess? Where Joseph stayed faithful. He kept moving. He didn't abandon God. God didn't abandon him. And God used that for the good. And so those of you who've chosen to turn from God from your pain know he didn't cause it. But he can redeem it. I don't know why it happened to you. But he can redeem it. God will come through. He always does. Just remain faithful and allow him to do his thing. And folks, perspective is everything. Keep the perspective that God will do a good work. Keep the perspective that he has not forgotten about you and that he loves you. And that through it all and in it all, he's going to do a good work. You can trust that because we look to the cross 
And we're reminded that the most gruesome criminal's death the world has ever seen, God used to change the world for the good, for our salvation. He can use any situation. Just give it to him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today the pain we carry is heavy. But we know that you aren't done with us. We know you are not done with our situation. We know you are the God of redemption. We know you are the God who can glorify anything we've been through. So, Father, we rest and trust in you this morning. While our plans may have changed, while our outlook may have changed, we know you never have. So, Father, help us keep the right perspective. We see how you took the cross, a criminal's death, and turned that into the most glorious event the world has ever witnessed. We know that you could take our situation and turn it around and redeem it for your glory. So with that in mind, we know that the pain that others have caused us has not been permanent. We know it hasn't changed your plans. And so we know that you aren't done. We know you're going to continue to work. So help us forgive so we can move forward with a better future. In the wonderful, precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.